0: Have your Bibles, go to John, John in chapter number 11. This series on Sunday nights is kind of a A little bit of a hodgepodge of messages. It's a little out of my ordinary. A lot of times I'll either tackle a specific character. We went for, I think, 19 Sunday nights on on what we called toxic leadership, studying the life of King Saul, and we went all through 1 Samuel um, and and studied that, kind of verse by verse. We'll study a book, and this one I've entitled Counseling Classics, and I didn't really know what to call it, but really it's just biblical passages or principles, things that I saw coming up over and over and over again as I met with people. And, uh, and and different truths or different passages. One of them was on diffusing the conflicts of life. When you're walking uh, through a conflict, often when there's counseling, it's because there's been conflict, either at church or at home and families, whatever it might be. And and so they were biblical passages that I was turning to over and over again, and principles that I was trying to remind people of. And, and so that's what it's been. As I mentioned a couple of Sunday nights ago, I think probably we'll be in this series for one or two more weeks, and then we'll be moving. On, I, I'm, I have a couple different ones that I'm thinking about. One is one that I'm definitely going to attack at some point, but it feels like this big giant monster, but it's going to be a really almost kind of like a Bible college class. It's going to be a doctrine series. Why do we believe what we believe? What does the Bible teach? And what do we believe and why? And uh, digging into that, I don't know if I'm brave enough to jump right. It's going to be a heavy, uh, a heavy series for me to jump into and a lot of work. I've been doing some already. And so I don't know that I'll start it right after this. I may wait till the school year when we're a little bit more of a normal schedule and rhythm. Um, I'm thinking about doing probably a three or four week series when this ends on Sunday evenings, um, studying Romans chapter 14, how should we respond when we disagree with other Christians? And, uh, and understanding the fact that, that there are things that different Christians um, practice or do, and, and how should we approach the differences that come up in churches, between churches, with other churches, and other Christians, and pastors, and understanding those things. And, uh, and we'll see where that goes. I've thought about entitling that one something about sacred cows. And we all have them, don't we? These things that are our sacred cows that, that we have, and what do we do when somebody else's sacred cow isn't ours? and uh, when something bothers us, but it doesn't bother someone else. How do we approach that? Are we the ones that love God and they're not? And I'm not talking about there's no hard and fast black and white truth in the Bible, but the Bible does teach, we, the Bible teaches that there are areas that believers can differ on some things and still be good, faithful, godly followers of Christ. And so we may jump into that. I don't know. I, I always have more things I want to preach than, than services that I have to preach them. So we'll see where the Lord directs, uh, but we'll finish this series in the next week or two probably. I mentioned this morning the title of tonight's message, and here it is. I'm glad you're having a trial. That's not very nice, is it, Steve? I don't know about you, but somebody's walked up to you and said, man, I've got this great heartache, heartbreak in my life. I don't want them to say, boy, that's awesome. So glad you're having that. Sounds kind of insensitive, doesn't it? Of all the things you could say when somebody's walking through a deep valley in life, a dark time in life, you know what we often say? And and I think it's good that we say it, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry that you're going through that. We'll we'll be praying for you through this. Uh, Let's pray about that. We might say something like that. Is there anything that I can do to be a help to you? Those are all kind of our natural responses when we find out people are walking through heartache and heartbreak, right? I think it would be a little offensive, maybe, if what we said was, when we found out that somebody was in one of the darkest moments of heartache and heartbreak, say, I'm so glad to hear that. But I'm going to show you in this passage that's exactly what Jesus said. I want you to see it, and my message is I'm glad you're having a trial, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Why it is, you know, the Bible tells us weep with them that do weep and rejoice with them that do rejoice, not rejoice with them that do weep. And that's kind of what that sounds like. It feels like as Christians, sometimes we do the opposite. We weep with them that do rejoice. When something good happens in their life, we try to tear them down and point out all the reasons why they don't deserve it. And we rejoice when they do weep. When, When something bad happens, it's like, I knew it was coming to them. They deserved it. I was waiting for it. But my message tonight, I'm glad you're having a trial. Exactly what Christ said when some of his dearest friends on earth were hurting. When some of the folks he loved most were struggling in utter despair, he said, I'm glad that this situation happened the way that it did. Would you turn, and if you're in John 11, let's look at the first few verses. John chapter number 11, verse number 1. John 11, follow along if you will, verse number 1, now a certain man was sick, what was his name, church named? Lazarus. Lazarus, Lazarus is sick of Bethany, the town of who? Mary and her sister who? Martha. These are three of Jesus' closest friends. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Lazarus is sick. He's not doing well. Verse 2, It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. So they're at home trying to take care of their brother who has a deathly infection. He's not doing well at all. He's knocking on death's door. The reason we know that is because the door's going to open here in a little bit. He's literally knocking on death's door, and Martha and Mary say, somebody get to Jesus fast and tell him. And it's almost like they want to, we want to remind you, it's the one you love. Like, we're close. That Lazarus, whom thou lovest, is sick would you come and help us we need you to come through for us right now Jesus it's an emergency look at verse number six if you will now when he had heard therefore Jesus when he heard that when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick what's the next verse the next phrase he abode how long church still in the same place where he was what if my wife called me on the phone? Well, this has happened. We had um, Trey when he was, I think in kindergarten, he had an accident in the gym and he, and he, he was running. They were all running around and, uh, and, and with, with running and he slipped. He was wearing socks and slipped and his, his mouth at the front, uh, um, slipped into the front uh, row of the gym bleachers and four teeth got shoved up into his gums. I was having lunch with a pastor from out of town that we had lined it up. My wife and I were over at Fashion Island having lunch with a pastor and his wife, and Joanne, you called me. And I think I ignored it at first. I was at lunch, and I thought, well, whatever it is, she can shoot me a text or call me, and then you called me again. And I thought, Joanne doesn't normally bother me on, on my cell phone, and she's called twice. I need to check what it is. And I picked up the phone, and I said, hello, and she said, hey, pastor, I want to let you know Trey just had an accident in the gym. There's something you're probably going to need to take him to the doctor or the dentist. His gums are bleeding. And what would you think of me if when I heard that about my son, I said, okay, no problem. I'll be there tomorrow. She would say, no, Pastor, I don't think you understand. Like, he needs help right now. No, I'll, I'll be, it's, it's Wednesday. I'll be there Thursday or Friday. Just take care of him until I get there. Whatever happens, happens. You would think that I was a neglectful father, right? Isn't it interesting? What was Jesus' response when he heard that Lazarus was sick? He abode two days still in the same place where he was. You know what's a reminder of for me? God's ways are not our ways. And God's timing isn't always our timing. We want God to work on our timetable. God had a plan that they didn't understand. And by the way, to their human hearts, what did this look like? It looked like neglect. Neglect whom thou lovest. Lazarus, whom thou lovest, is sick. We need your presence. We need your power. We need your healing. We need you right now, Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He stayed right where he was for two days. There are times—I apologize today. I'm not sure if I'm, I've got it too close. To, this is a new one from this morning. We fixed it because this morning's was messed up, and this morning's broke. I'll try that again. If not, I'll go to the hand, handheld— What we view sometimes, what looks like neglect, is actually God's love. There are times where the love of God in our lives might look like neglect. God, you didn't answer that prayer when I thought you would. You didn't open that door when I thought you would. You didn't work that situation out the way that I wished you would. You didn't do what I had prayed about there. And sometimes his love can look like neglect. He abode there still two days. Skip down to verse number 11 for the sake of time. Then these things said he, and after that he saith unto them. He's talking to the disciples. Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. The disciples, like you and me, sometimes are a little hard-headed. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. When When you're sick, what do you do? If you're sick, you lay down and sleep, right? And so Jesus said, hey, guys, our friend Lazarus, he's sleeping. Now, in the Bible, sometimes they would use the word sleep to say death, meaning he died, and I'm going to go wake him out of his sleep. And the disciples, clueless, didn't know what Jesus was saying. If he's sleeping, let him sleep. That's good if somebody's sick. Notice what Jesus says. Sometimes I like to read the conversations of the disciples. He said, if he sleeps, he's going to do well. That's good. Verse 13, however, Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly. Would you read the next three words? The last three words of verse 14. Would you read those aloud? Ready? Begin. Lazarus is Lazarus is dead. There's no coming back from that one. You can't change that one. Jesus messed up this time. He was late this time. These circumstances, that's not what we prayed for. We came to you when we had a need, and you, you were neglectful. They could have felt like, Lazarus is dead. Now I want you to look. Would you read the first four words of verse number 15 aloud? The first four words. Ready? Begin. And I am what? And I am what? Would you read those four words? Ready? Begin. And I am—that doesn't sound—Lazarus is dead, and I am glad. Lazarus is dead, and if you finish the verse, what he says is, I am glad, notice what he says, we're going to get back to it later on, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent you may believe, nevertheless let us go unto him. Lazarus is dead, and I am glad, I'm glad that that they're going through this trial. By the way, when Jesus gets to Bethany and sees Martha and Mary, what is he going to find? He's going to find heartbroken people that he loves that are just distraught, they're beside themselves God how could you let this happen what's going on God they're they're gonna say it we'll see here in a minute if you just would have been here you could have fixed all of this and Jesus said I allowed this trial I allowed it to go this way I allowed it to work this way Lazarus is dead and I am glad I'm glad that it happened the way that it happened I'm glad they're having this trial Christ was saying, I'm glad this trial happened. There, there are good—the uh, the trials are good, and good is going to come from this. Jesus understood that this heartache was good for them. We don't ever think trials are good for us, do we? Pastor Tyler preached a little, was it last Sunday morning or Sunday night, on Embrace Your Shake from Paul in 2 Corinthians. We don't like trials in our lives. We don't like trials in our kids' lives. We don't like trials in the lives of our loved ones, but we can—but but here's a, one thought. Trials are going to come into our lives. You cannot live on this earth and avoid them. We don't like them, but if we understand Jesus' heart and if we understand scriptural principles, we can come to a place that we understand that trials are—can be good and can be used for good. We can learn a lot from this story on how Jesus still uses trials in the lives of his children for good. He understands that trials are good for us because they do four things for us. Trials, if handled correctly, by the end of this message, my prayer is that you will see the trials of life through spiritual eyes, and you and I will be able to say, I'm glad. Maybe not, I wanted it to happen. Maybe not, this is what I expected, but I'm glad God allowed this in my life. For these four reasons, if handled correctly, trials can do four things. Number one, trials soften your heart. Look at verse number 19, if you will. John 11, verse number 19. Would you read it aloud with me? John 11, verse 19. Ready? Begin. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Look at verse number 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been there here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. What do we see here because of the way that God allowed this trial to to play out? What do we see? We see Mary weeping. We see uh, Martha hurting. We see the Jews weeping. We see that they were seeking Christ in a way which they had not been before. They were seeking Christ in, in a way, in a work that only he could do their hearts were softened because of this trial as I coached uh, Sammy and Joel they might remember this statement when we would lose sometimes I would say guys sometimes losses are the best thing for a team it's where you really grow and you see what you need to work on and I would use this statement that I read somewhere decades ago after uh, losses and crosses men grow humbler and wiser After losses and crosses, men grow humbler and wiser, and in the midst of trials, if we allow—now, trials can soften, harden our hearts. They can cause us to become bitter against somebody or against God or someone else, but if we allow them to, trials can soften our hearts. Mary weeping, Martha hurting, the Jews weeping, Jesus is going to be weeping, people comforting one another. There was a tenderness, there was a comfort, and and trials can cause us to become soft and moldable before God. Many times the only way that we will fall at his feet is when he has brought us to our knees. Often it's only in the trial when we will stop, pause, and consider, God, what can I learn from this? What are you trying to teach me? How can I grow from this? What needs to change in my life? Trials soften our hearts toward God. What do you notice in Mary and Martha's life when the trial came? They began to seek Jesus in a way they had not been seeking him. God, we need what only you can do. God, we're we're at the end of ourselves. The doctors can't help. The medicine can't help. We don't know what to do. We need you. Trials softened their heart and caused them to understand their need for their Savior their need for God in their lives. Trials can cause us to see the need uh, for Christ in our lives. They also soften our hearts toward others. When you and I go through a struggle, we gain more compassion for other people's trials. It causes us to empathize with the hurts of others. You know, if you've lost a loved one, if maybe you've lost a a spouse or a parent or a child— You have an empathy, and you have a compassion, and you have an ability to minister to others walking through the same thing that those that haven't—doesn't mean that if you haven't walked through that, you can't be a blessing to someone in their trial, but there is something about the fact that it changes the way you can minister to someone when you've walked through some trials yourself. They soften our hearts toward others. You know my testimony. I was raised by a single mom, And and God has given me a heart for young people that are going through some of those same things of a dysfunctional home or a broken home. That doesn't mean I I don't love teens and young people that have both parents in the home, but I understand a little bit better about some of the challenges than I might might have had I not gone through what I went through. My brother, Robert, he visits here a couple of uh, times a year. Robert has Down syndrome. I'll be honest, having a brother with Down syndrome has softened my heart toward others that have special needs children. Because when I see a, a family that has a special needs child, whatever it might be, whatever the situation might be, I understand a little bit about the heavy burden that it can be and the, the difficulties. and the ch- and By the way, it's not all burdens. There's a whole lot of blessings with special needs children as well, and I understand that now too. And my mom would tell you that, that, that what she would have viewed before she had Robert as a really you know, negative things, she wouldn't trade for the world. Robert brings so much joy to our family and to every place that he goes, and, and we love—but I, I would have understood the challenges of that trial or the joys of that trial had I not walked through it. There's something about when you walk through a trial, it softens your heart. It allows you to better care about and minister to those that are walking through a similar trial. Trials—why why was Jesus glad they were having a trial— Because trials soften our hearts. Secondly, what do they do? They can strengthen our faith. If we allow them to, trials will strengthen your faith. Look at verse number 15. What did Jesus say? Why he was glad that he wasn't there. I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. Why? To the intent ye may. What church? Disciples, your faith is about to be strengthened. Mary's faith is about to be strengthened. Martha's faith is about to be strengthened. A whole lot of people are about to place their faith and trust in in me as Savior because of what they see me do in the midst of this trial. I'm going to use this trial to strengthen the faith of countless people. Jesus said it right there, I'm glad I was not there to the intent that you may believe that you'll know me in a greater way. This trial will cause you to love me in a deeper way, to trust me in a deeper way, to believe in me in a deeper way, to understand who I am and what I can do. You're going to watch me do something that you never thought I'd be able to do, and it's going to strengthen your faith. And when you walk through a trial, if you walk through it correctly, now you and I can walk through trials incorrectly, and we can cause those trials to cause a heart of bitterness Bitterness toward God, and anger toward God, and bitterness toward the people of God, and anger toward that one that hurt us. And we can live in, in, in these, this place of deep, dark despair, or we can say, God, I don't understand why you didn't come when I called. I don't like the outcome, but God, I trust you. They can strengthen our faith. It's when we are weak that he can show himself strong. When we can't solve it that we believe that our Savior can. It has been said that when we're down to nothing, God is often up to something. His strength is perfect when our strength is gone. A clay pot sitting in the sun will always be just a clay pot. It has to go through the white, hot heat of the furnace to become porcelain. And what is porcelain? Stronger, of greater use. It is when we walk through those trials that God strengthens us and makes us greater use for his glory and for his kingdom. Look at verse number 39. Verse number thirty-nine. Jesus said, "Take ye away the stone." Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith in him, "Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days." And you've, you, I've, I've taught this before. In in those times, they believed that somewhere within the three days, that because they would have sometimes where they thought they didn't have all the medical equipment and things that we had, somebody might have been dead. And you've heard of things happening where somebody was buried and they ended up being alive and they came and and they didn't have ways. They didn't always know, and so they had in. Their 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 minds, somewhere within three days, you could still possibly come back to life. Four days means all hope is lost. They would keep the body in the home for three days to make sure, and then on the fourth day, you knew they were really dead and they stunk. They were were done. He says, he stinketh. Verse 40, Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Martha, I want your faith to be strengthened. Do you believe in me? Are you going to let this trial shake your faith or strengthen your faith? Christian, are you going to let this trial you're walking through shake your faith? or strengthen your faith. Trials soften our hearts. They can strengthen our faith, cause us to believe in him more. I read this paragraph, most of the Psalms were born in difficulty. Some of the epistles were written in prisons. Most of the greatest thoughts of the greatest thinkers of all time had to pass through the fire. Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress from jail. Florence Nightingale, too ill to move from her bed, reorganized the hospitals of England. Semi-paralyzed and under the constant menace of apoplexy, Pasteur was tireless in his attack on disease. During the greater part of his life, American historian Francis Parkman suffered so acutely that he could not work for more than five minutes at a time. His eyesight was so wretched that he could scrawl only a few gigantic words on a manuscript, yet he contrived to write 20 magnificent volumes of history. Sometimes it seems that when God is about to make preeminent use of a man, he puts him through the fire. Why? Because it strengthens us. It draws us closer to him. It prepares us for greater use. I had one pastor who's walking through trials, physical trials of his own, is unable to lead his church right now. When I first came here, I sat at Islands in the Bluffs, and he talked to me about some of the growth of our church and some of the things that were happening. And he used the phrase, he said, Ryan, be, be prepared. He said, new levels, new devils. What he was saying was, whenever God wants to make use of somebody, he's going to bring some challenges, some trials, some some difficulties. Why? Because it's in those that our faith is strengthened. It's where some spiritual maturity comes. It's where that relationship gets real. It's where our belief in him, when we don't understand, gets, gets really grounded. Moses, who was greatly used of God, grew up without his dad. Joseph, betrayed by his brothers... Jacob wrestled with an angel and had a permanent limp. Isaac placed on an altar to be sacrificed by his dad. Paul beaten, stoned, forsaken by those close to him. Jonathan, his dad, went crazy and tried to kill his best friend. David was hunted to be killed. These trials strengthened these men and prepared them for God's work in their lives." Craig, I forget where it was, but some years ago I was at Disney, and I want to say it was one of those, those like, not the Hall of Presidents, but some place where they had some movie or some history of Walt Disney playing. And I don't even know why I went into it other than it was really hot, and I just wanted something with air conditioning. And so we walked into this thing, and it told the story of Walt Disney. I watched a little biography on his life, Walt Disney, the one that has this huge empire now and, and 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 that has grown obviously after his death and has grown into some things that I think he wouldn't have, have wanted or or maybe planned, but but he was a failed businessman in Kansas City. He was left with no income. And here's the interesting thing: no one would buy his little drawings of a mouse. Can you imagine? Nobody wanted Mickey Mouse. He had $40 in his pocket. He jumped on a train and he headed to California. And the rest, as they say, is history. And you know what Walt Disney said before he died? He said, All the adversity I've had in my life, all my troubles and obstacles have strengthened me. You may not realize it when it happens, but a kick in the teeth may be the best thing in the world for you. Another wrote, Of their lives, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my experience, has been through affliction and not through happiness. Now, the Bible tells us that no trial is joyous, no chastening is joyous in its present time, but it's those things that work the peaceable fruit of righteousness, that strengthen us, that draw us closer to Him. Number three, why was, do I believe Jesus was glad that the trial had worked out the way that it had? Number three, trials can deepen your love. Verse number 35. Would you read verse number 35, my favorite verse growing up whenever there was a Bible memory contest? <laughs> See if you can read it without reading it. Ready? Begin. Jesus wept. Every summer for our kids' program. Pastor Cabe, I don't know if we do a Bible memory contest in any of our kids' programs. That was my go-to. First week, I was getting points. Jesus wept. But you know, the shortest version of the Bible is packed with some of the most amazing displays of God's love. Jesus wept, and then look at the next verse, verse number 36. Look at verse 36. Then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. They were amazed at the compassion that Jesus showed and it caused them to love him more. Martha and Mary's trial opened it up so that other people could know and see the love of Christ. Why was he glad? Because it was gonna deepen their love for Jesus. Yes, Martha and Mary, but many other Jews were going to see the love of Jesus in a way they had never seen it before, But some of Jesus' followers had to be willing to walk through the deepest, darkest, biggest heart heartache and heartbreak of their lives for others to see the love of Christ in that way. Are you and I willing to walk through some of those things so that others might know and see the love of Christ in a way they never had before? Behold how he loved them. What a man. What a Savior. Maybe this is the Son of God. There's something different, and and they still love Him, even though He didn't answer their prayer. They saw the love of Christ in a way they had never seen it when they watched followers of Christ walk through their darkest valley. I don't know all the reasons God allows different things in each one of our lives, but according to Scripture, one of the reasons is because people are watching you. And people can be helped by watching a Christian suffer in a Christ-like way. And they can see the love of Christ in ways they've never seen it before. It can deepen their love for him and deepen our love for him. When we face a trial and God proves himself faithful, all my life you have been faithful, it deepens our love for him. We realize what a loving father he is. It also deepens our love for others. When you realize how much folks love you in a trial, it brings you closer to them. Friends and family, when Trey, we were talking about on the way to church tonight, I don't know why we were talking about that. Oh, maybe it was Mrs. as We were talking about their baby that's coming and. And uh, I don't know how we got on it, but we started talking about how Trey was a preemie, and he was he he came six weeks early, and and it was at Christmas time, a week before Christmas, and the doctor said, he's going to be in NICU for, for weeks. And you know, and that was a, a, a trial for us. Now, we thought everything would be okay, but we didn't know. He wasn't supposed to come for another month and a half, two months. We didn't know where it would go. Todd and Jessica, I remember with, with Mav, when that happened with your family, and those are trials. And you know what happened in those trials? Not only did it deepen my love for God, but it deepened my love for my Christian community, for my church family, people praying for us and and helping us and dropping off meals and, and just letting us know that we were cared for and helping to care for our children during those times. That trial allowed me to see the love of Christ in a way that I hadn't maybe seen it, and it allowed me to see the love of his people in a way that maybe I hadn't seen it. Trials can deepen our love. When you realize how much folks love you, it brings you closer to them. When you face a financial trial, it deepens your love for God's provision. When you face a physical trial, it deepens your love for good health. When you lose your job, it deepens your appreciation for the ability to work. When you lose a loved one, it deepens your love for the loved ones that are still here. Lawsons deepen our love and appreciation for the blessings of life. I'm glad you're having a trial. Why? Because they soften our hearts. They strengthen our faith. They deepen our love. And lastly, in this passage, I see, if dealt with properly, they glorify our God. Look at verse number four. So they they came and said, Lazarus, the one who you love is sick. Verse four, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death. That doesn't sound right. But here's what he knew. But for the what church? For the glory of God that who might be glorified thereby? The son of God. Why did God, why am I going to allow this trial? Because I'm going to use it to glorify God. I'm going to use it to bring many people to myself. Look at verse 45. Look at verse 45, if you will. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. What happened? God was glorified when some of his closest followers walked through some of the darkest moments of their lives. Many came to Christ. Maybe God has allowed that trial in your life not because he's some sadistic, unkind, unloving dictator. Oh no, he's a loving, compassionate, heavenly father who's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Maybe he's allowed that, not because he wants to bring you pain, but he wants to bring himself glory. He wants people to see the love of Christ in real practical ways, in ways they've never seen it. And if they see you and me walk through those trials and stay faithful They might say, there's something different about that guy. His spirit's different. Financial collapse, and he still has joy. Health reversals, they're still going to church. Difficulties with a heartbreak with a family member, and they haven't turned their back on God. You know, there's something to that guy's faith. They have something, she has something, I don't have. And guess what? When they walk through a trial and they don't know where to turn, Guess what the Lord might use? Might say, you need to go to that one that's been through that same thing but came out on the other side better than they were before. What what is that? When we walk through trials in a Christ-like way, what does it do? It glorifies our God. He said, this trial isn't to death. It's that the Son of God might be glorified. It's for the glory of God. This is what it all comes down to. That's why Christ said he was glad that Lazarus has died. He wanted his name to be magnified. If Christ be lifted up, he'll draw all men unto himself. When when man had no solutions for Lazarus, God knew that he would get the glory. When others see you face a trial like a Christian and they see God work in your life, then God gets the glory in your life. Sometimes God allows a trial because he knows you'll walk through it in the right way, and like Job, you'll say, the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God allowed those trials in Job's life. God didn't send them, by the way. Satan sent them, but God allowed them, and what happened? He allowed them because he knew Job would bring him glory in the midst of that trial. Is God allowing this trial in your life so that others will turn to him? Is God allowing you to be an example of how a Christian should suffer? By the way, these four effects happen because they turned to Christ in their trial instead of running from him in their trial. Where did they go immediately when they were facing a trial? Send for Christ. We need Christ here. He's the one we need close in this. We don't know what to do. The reason those four things happened in the lives of Mary and Martha and those around them was because their first instinct was not to run from God in the time of trial, but to run to God. Not to doubt Christ, but to trust Christ. Not to not to get bitter, but to believe and to allow their hearts to be softened. I'm glad you're having a trial. Pastor Tyler last week, he went to 2 Corinthians, that messenger of Satan was not from God, but God said it was good. What did that trial in Paul's life do? It softened his heart. What what did he say? Lest I should be exalted. Remember that passage last week? It softened his heart. Instead of getting lifted up in hardened pride, lest I be exalted, I needed my heart softened. What did it do? It strengthened his faith. What did Jesus God teach him? My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. It strengthens my faith in what God can do in and through me in the midst of my trial. And what did it do? It glorified his God that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And then what did Paul say? Therefore, I take glory, pleasure in my infirmities. I take pleasure. I glory in those things. What does he say? What is Paul saying? I'm glad when. God allows trials, because I've learned that they soften my heart, lest I should be exalted. They deepen my love. They strengthen my faith. His grace is sufficient for me. I'm weak. When I'm weak, He's strong. They strengthen my faith in Him, and they glorify my God that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We view trials so surface level, don't we? So so temporally. Just right in the moment, this hurts, I don't like it, get rid of it that's okay. That's natural for all of us. But would to God, and I already plan to preach this message tonight when Tyler preached the one he did last week, and they kind of go hand in hand. But often when I'm counseling with people and they're walking through those trials, we see all of the pain and the hurt and the things we wish were different, but we fail to see what God can do with them in our lives. God, are you trying to soften my heart? Are you trying to strengthen my faith? Are you trying to deepen my love and the love of others around me for you? Are you trying to glorify yourself through me? I talked with Jay Shainer's brother-in-law this morning, Art, who's a faithful man in our church, Art DeBolt. I said, how's Jay doing? The last week or so. He said he's not really getting out of bed. He's not really talking. He said, probably won't be long before he goes to heaven. And if Betsy's watching tonight, I don't know God's timing. She knows that we love her and Jay deeply. The way it looks, humanly speaking, but I always think back. Jay's told me this for years now as he's walked through his cancer journey. But the last thing, one of the last things he said to me as I sat in his house the last time that I visited him right before I went on vacation. You heard me say it recently. I said, Jay, what can we do for you right now? How can we be a help to you and Betsy? He said, just keep doing what you're doing at Liberty. Keep lifting up Jesus. And here's what he said. He said, my prayer, if you want to pray with me, my prayer from the time I found out that I had this cancer. Here's been my prayer. God, be magnified and glorified through this. Glorified. He didn't say, Pastor, would you pray that God would heal me? And I'm sure he wouldn't mind being healed. He didn't say, Pastor, would you pray? He said, would you pray that God would be glorified through my life and through this trial? There's a man that knows a little bit about the bigger picture of trials. In his 80s, he's walked through some things in this life. He's followed God for about 60 years. And he understands that sometimes we focus on just the temporary pain of the trial, and we lose sight of the big picture of what God wants to do and what God can do in the trials of our lives. Here's the reality. From a human perspective, I'm not really glad you're having a trial. Renee, I talked with you, and Joe's been caring for his son who's had some health struggles in recent days. Been to the hospital a couple times, I think. Joe's at home, he may be watching now, you know what I said to Renee just tonight when I found out? Renee, I'm so sorry to hear that. I don't like it when people that I know and love hurt. So when I say, I don't mean to be flippant when I say I'm glad you're having a trial. What I mean by that is the same thing Jesus meant. Let's get a bigger picture view of what God can do through the dark moments of our lives. Through the pain, through the unanswered questions, through the uncertain futures, let's get a bigger picture. It's not just about our inconvenience or our pain. It's about, God, are you trying to soften my heart for me and toward you and toward others to give me more of a love for people? God, are you trying to strengthen my faith? I I did this, Jesus said, I stayed here for the intent that you may believe. God, are you trying to deepen my love? And God, how are you trying to glorify yourself? Tonight, my challenge to you is to learn to thank God for your trial. And that's my challenge to myself as well. Like Job, to be able to say, but he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. What was that? That was faith. I don't understand what I'm doing, and I don't understand what God's doing, and I don't understand where God's sending me, but God knows, and when he's done, I believe I'll come forth as gold. That's a man, Job, who walked through one of the deepest moments and, and seasons that any human being has ever walked through, and he had a bigger picture. He said, God can use this to make me stronger and better served for his glory if you'll turn to god in your trial and trust him completely he can do these four things i close with this true story a parnell bailey visited an orange grove where an irrigation pump had broken down the season was unusually dry and some of the trees were beginning to die for lack of water the man giving the tour then took bailey to his own orchard where irrigation had been used more sparingly than it had been used in this other orchard And he said to him, as he stood with Bailey, he said, these trees here in my orchard, they could go without water or rain for another two weeks. He said, you see, when they were young, I frequently kept water from them. This hardship caused them to send their roots deeper into the soil in search of moisture. Now mine are the deepest rooted trees in the area. While others are being scorched by the sun, these are finding moisture at a greater depth. You know, there's something to the depth of the faith of somebody who's walked through hardships in their lives. When others are maybe being scorched by the trials of life, their roots, their spiritual roots, are finding moisture at deeper depths. God sometimes allows the trials of life so that our roots in Him might deepen, our faith might strengthen. No, realistically, I'm not really glad you're having a trial, but spiritually speaking, If we believe God is who he says he is, if we believe that his word is true, then let's not just focus on the temporal pain or inconvenience. And let's ask God to perform those four things in our lives that he performed here in one of the deepest, darkest moments of some people that he loved the very most. Let your trials soften your heart, strengthen your faith, deepen your love, and glorify your God.